Hello, my name is Callie. The Old Testament reading is found in Ezekiel 37, 24 through 28. My servant David will be king over them. There will be just one shepherd for all of them. They will follow my case laws and carefully observe my regulations. They will live on the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where their ancestors lived. They will live on it, they and their children and their grandchildren, forever. My servant David will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace for them. It will be their covenant forever. I will grant it to them and allow them to increase. I will set my sanctuary among them forever. My dwelling will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. The nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is among them forever. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Eric. The uh, New Testament reading is found in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 26 through 28. In the same way, the Spirit comes to help our weakness. We don't know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks because he pleads for the saints consistent with God's will. We know that God works all things together for good for the ones who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Colleen. Thanks for standing for the gospel reading found in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17 and 26. I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion who will be with you forever. This companion is the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I told you. The Gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me this morning. For the next couple of weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to proclaim the creed during this time. So not the Nicene Creed, because that one's really long. Uh, The Apostles' Creed, which is a little bit shorter. But let's proclaim this together this morning. The words will come up on the screen. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you this morning, New Life Downtown. 
you're visiting with us this morning, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for being with us this morning. Our lead pastor, Glenn Packiam, is traveling this weekend. He is preaching in Seattle this morning. But we are absolutely delighted that you're here. If you're watching online, uh, we love you. We miss you. We hope to see you in person. Today is the third Sunday of Eastertide. So we get to keep celebrating Easter for four more weeks. It's not just a day, but a whole season of celebrating and feasting. So if you've run out of candy, go and grab some more. Uh, you've got a few more weeks to eat and rejoice. We began back in January a series called Who is God? Uh, and it's a series that's taking place in three parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As Christians, as we just proclaimed in the creed, we believe in one God who exists forever in three equal divine persons. The Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about the Father for seven weeks. We talked about the Son for about seven weeks. Now we're talking about the Spirit. We began last week with what the Nicene Creed says about the Spirit, describing the Spirit as the Lord and the giver of life. is a way of recognizing that the Holy Spirit is in every way God and is a person, a divine person who relates to us in personal and relational ways. And then we talk about him being the giver of life, the one who gives life to all creation, who gives life to the church, and who gives life to new creation, to resurrection life inside of us. Today, we're going to talk about the spirit and the presence of God. In his landmark work, looking at Paul's theology of the Holy Spirit, New Testament scholar Gordon Fee says that presence is a delicious word. I like that. There's something tasty. There's something delicious about presence. Nothing can really take its place. Photos just don't do it. Letters are great, but it's not the same thing as being with someone. Photos are great. Letters are great. Phone calls are great. If you like the phone, Zoom, maybe not so great. Uh, especially after the last couple of years, like Zoom is a cuss word, I think, for a lot of us at this point. But there's something about presence that really matters. Actually, it's one of the great challenges and the great losses of the pandemic is that suddenly we found ourselves distant from those that we love having to have a different sort of version of distance from one another. And we felt the absence of presence. This is particularly true if you live alone. Just having those sort of moments where all of a sudden the times and opportunities that you got to see people in person were now drastically reduced or very, very different. And you begin to miss presence. This is true for those who are immunocompromised and had to be just more careful health-wise and, and maybe still not even back to a normal sense of presence with other people. Or for those that had loved ones who were sick or uh, weddings or funerals or graduations, it was heartbreaking to not be present because we want to be there. Or maybe if you moved here, can you imagine moving in January or February of 2020, leaving community and then trying to build new community in the midst of the pandemic and the, the sense of a loss of presence during that time. It can be especially hard for all of those reasons or more because there's something about us as people that we crave presence. We actually do want to be with people, even introverts like me. I crave presence only like in smaller amounts. 
Um, and some of you extroverts that are in the room. You know, it's like not everyone all the time, but some people sometime. There's a craving for presence. It's a delicious word. Interestingly, the story of God is actually a story about presence. The whole Bible is a story about presence. The Bible begins and the Bible ends with God being present with his people. Now, this is what bookends our whole scriptures. And in between, the story is largely about how presence was lost. And how presence is promised yet again. And then how presence is restored. The Old Testament begins with Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day. I don't know what time of the day that that is. But this picture of Adam and Eve actually walking with God, being in his presence. But as we flip to the next page, we see Adam and Eve rebel against God's ways. And what happens? They're exiled from the garden. They're exiled from God's presence. Over the next couple of chapters, God is no longer walking with his people. He's no longer present all the time. Instead, he appears periodically, he appears to Abraham, he appears to Isaac, he appears to Jacob, he appears to Moses in the burning bush, he appears on Mount Sinai, but his presence is sporadic when he appears. But God promises to restore his presence. And he does restore it in the building of the tabernacle and then the temple. We read in those stories that God has once again made his home with his people. That God comes to dwell in the midst of his people, Israel. But then, of course, Israel follows in the path of Adam and Eve. And they rebel and they're exiled from their land and the temple is destroyed. And once again, it seems as if God's presence has been lost. And so the prophets begin to look forward to a day when God will once again restore his presence among his people. And then we flip to the New Testament. And God restores his presence in the most remarkable way. As Jesus comes, God himself, God the Son, becomes flesh and blood and moves into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson says. That God actually becomes flesh That Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. God comes and once again makes his home with people. And then as we get to the very end of the New Testament, what we see is Jesus coming back, Jesus returning, and that great declaration that I will be their God and they will be my people and I will dwell with them forever. From beginning to end, the Bible is a story about presence. Why? Because God is a God who wants to be with us. That this is who God is. He's not a distant God. He's not a God who's disinterested. He's not a God that doesn't care. He's not a God that's indifferent to us in any way. He is a God who actually wants to be with us. He loves us and not just loves us, but likes us and wants to be present with his people. This is the story of the scriptures. What about that time in between? With that time between when Jesus ascends to return to the Father and when Jesus comes back to make everything right and good again, where's God's presence in the middle of that? Where's God's presence now? Where's God's presence for us? 
How is it that we, as the people of God, here and now experience the presence of God? When the Gospel of John is Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, right before his death and his resurrection, in John 14 and 15, he's gathering his disciples together, having long conversations with them. In the middle of that, he tells his disciples that he's going to go away, but that he is going to go away for a purpose, to prepare a place for us, and then he's going to return and be with us again. But in the middle of that, in that space in between, he says this, when I'm gone, I will ask the Father, and he will send another companion, another one, one who is like me, another one who will be with you forever. And that companion is the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. But you, you know him. How? Because he lives with you and will be with you. Jesus says, I'm going to ascend. I'm going back to my father. But when I return, I will not leave you alone. I will send another companion, another advocate, another helper. I will send the Holy Spirit, the other person of the Godhead, and he will be with you. Not just be with you, but he will actually indwell. He will dwell in you. He uses all throughout the scriptures, they start to use temple and tabernacle language that God will make his home in us and with us. I will dwell in you individually and dwell in you collectively so I can be with you and be in you. For the people of God now, the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. It's God's presence with us here and Now, the Holy Spirit is God's presence abiding in us and with us here and now. But what kind of presence is he? Exactly how do we experience the presence of God or what does the presence of God look like? What kind of presence is the Holy Spirit? What is he offering? What is he doing? What is he providing in the midst of being with us? Several years ago, Sarah and I went on our first extended vacation since our honeymoon. So it was 2018 after we moved here. We'd gotten away for a night or two here and there, but we were taking a five-day trip and going to California and driving the Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1, from Santa Monica to Monterey and back. And in the middle of that stretch is where Big Sur is. If you've ever been there, it's one of those breathtaking places on the planet. So here we are, day three of our trip together, this five-day trip, just the two of us. We're hiking around Big Sur, and Sarah starts asking the question, who do you think we should have brought with us? Sarah's an extrovert. There was more presence needed in this moment. For me, I was fine. I was like, we've got one person all the time right now. That's good. And she starts wondering, like, Who should we bring with us next time we go on vacation? (laughs) Which led to this really fascinating conversation as we're hiking around. We began to say, okay, who would we want to be with us here? If we were to come back and go hiking here, who would be the friends? Who would be the family that we'd bring? Because not everybody is up for that kind of hike, right? There's just certain friends that you would invite on that. And that led to this long conversation where we started thinking about which friends we'd want in certain situations. Right? And we all have this. If you were to scroll through your contacts and start reading through, you're like, oh yeah, that's the person I would call in this situation. 
Like maybe if you're in trouble or you're going through a hard time, you're like, I'm going to call so-and-so because they're, they're a comforting presence for me in the middle of this. Or maybe you're like getting ready to go to a concert and you're like, I'm not really looking for the comforting presence right now. I'm looking for the celebratory presence. Who am I going to call right now as I'm getting to go to this once-in-a-lifetime concert? Who I want to be there with me in that moment? Or maybe you're those ones, I just need to process. I need to talk. I need, I need to call someone to talk something. I need to get all these like emotions and thoughts and ideas. I just need to bleh, get them out there. And you know who the person is that's a listening presence to you who can just sit in that place and not try to fix everything and describe what they would do in that situation, they're just going to nod and be there with you. And you know there are certain friends that you go to the movie with and others that you don't go with. You go with the one that is not going to ask you questions during the movie. Sorry, sorry, uh, no, you, Ken, you're great going to the movie because you're talking back to the screen. You're not asking me What's going on right now? What's the plot line? Who's that character? I don't know. I'm just watching the movie too. So Ken's fun to go to the movie, especially a Marvel movie. You want to go with Ken. But I know some people that I just don't go to the movies with anymore. (laughs) Right? We all offer different kinds of presents and we all receive different kinds of presents from our friends, from our family, from our loved ones. But what kind of presents does the Spirit of God offer us? What kind of presence is he? We're going to look at this passage in John, focus on John 14, and see what John actually says about the Holy Spirit. We'll come back, we're going to talk about four things today, and then we'll come back to other things during the course of the rest of this series. But the first thing that we see in John is the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of God. The Holy Spirit is the abiding presence presence of God. John 14 says this, you know him because he lives with you. He abides with you. He dwells with you. He makes his home with you and he is with you. What John is trying to emphasize for us here is that the Holy Spirit never leaves us never abandons us, never gives up on us, never backs out on us, never stands us up. You could say it this way, the Holy Ghost never ghosts us. I worked on that one all night, you guys. And it went over just as well as I thought it was going to. It's like, it's dad joke city up here. Our... The scriptures want us to know that the Holy Spirit abides with us at all times in all places, in every situation. Our experience of the Holy Spirit is certainly fleeting. Our experience is certainly diverse. Our experience is kind of all over the board, but the reality of God's presence with us is not. It's our awareness of his presence with us that changes. It's our awareness of his presence that wanes. It's our awareness of his presence that ebbs and flows in our lives. But for the Holy Spirit, he is with us always, everywhere, at all times. His presence remains. It's our awareness that actually we struggle with. This is why the people of God for years have talked about that we need to practice awareness. Practice awareness of God. How to become aware, how to become present to the God who is always present to us. God is always present. We're not always aware. 
we even think about it in our own relationships with one another, we have such a hard time being truly present with each other. If you think about the number of distractions that are going through our minds when we're trying to have a conversation with somebody that we love or that we care about. There's on one hand, we may be thinking about what our next meeting is, and so we're distracted by the clock. Thinking about, okay, I've got an hour and a half here, and then I've got to run to this thing, and I've got to get this done, and I get that, and we're distracted by our schedule. Or maybe we just get distracted by all the things that are happening around us. We're like people watchers and going like, oh, who's, who's there? This happens sometimes like in the church lobby where I'm talking to someone that I see people pass. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that person. And all of a sudden I'm distracted again, trying to be present with somebody that I care about. We have all of these distractions around us, not even mentioning our phones beeping or our watches blinking at us. All of these distractions that make it so hard for us even to be present with one another who's in flesh and blood right in front of us. If you go to any like coffee shop or any restaurant, you see two people that are out or a family that's out. And what are most of them doing? They're on their phones or they're looking at the screens that are around. Why? Because we find it so hard to be present. And it's actually a critical gift that we give to one another to be fully present and to be fully aware. And it's so much harder for us to be present to God than it even is harder, than it is hard for us to be present with one another. In fact, most of our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, if you've taken that before, is about how do we slow down enough? How do we eliminate distractions? How do we practice slowing down? Why? So that we just have calmer days? No, it's slowing down for loving union with Jesus. How do we slow down to become aware of the one who is always present with us. Years ago, there was this little book written by uh, a, a man living in a monastery named Brother Lawrence. I mean, you've read The Practice of the Presence of God. It's this beautiful little book where this monk is journaling about his own experience here, living in a monastery, living in a life fully devoted to God, and realizing how quickly throughout the day he can just forget God, how little he pays attention to the presence of God. And so he begins to practice as he's washing dishes to be aware that God is with him in that moment. As he's gardening, to be aware that God is with him. As he's eating, to be aware that God is with him. As he's walking to and fro, to be aware that God is with him. As he goes to sleep at night and he raises up in the morning, rises up in the morning to be aware that God is with him. He realized he had to learn how to practice an awareness of the presence of God. God is, the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence. He is always with us. It's our awareness that struggles. And we learn as the people of God to practice that kind of awareness. The second thing we see in the book of John about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is the advocating presence of God. He says, I will ask the Father and he will send another companion who'll be with you forever. The word companion in the original language means someone who shows up on your behalf. Someone who comes alongside as an advocate. 
or as a mediator or as a helper, someone that's coming and showing up in your point of need, someone that's coming up when you find yourself at the end of the rope, someone that's coming alongside of you when you so desperately need the presence of someone else, someone that's coming to help you in weakness, someone that's coming to help you when it feels like you just have nothing else to give, someone coming to help you when you're not sure what it is to do, someone that's going to speak up on your behalf, someone that's going to give a voice when you don't feel like you have one anymore. Have you ever had those moments in life where you find yourself in a situation that is awful in some way? Maybe something, someone is hurting you in some way. Maybe someone's disappointing you in ways that just feel really, really personal and sort of cut deep in the heart. You ever had those moments where somebody just comes alongside you in, those, in, in that time? Someone speaks up for you. Someone comes to your defense when other people are saying things about you that aren't true. There's somebody comes along and you're not sure what to say or what to do. And then somebody comes in and knows exactly what to say and do. And they give voice, they give words to the things that you're not sure how to say. Maybe it was a parent that did that for you in a school situation. Maybe it was a friend that stood up to a bully and just said no more. Maybe it was a coworker who saw the way that someone was treating you and said, this isn't okay. We're gonna go to HR together and we're gonna get this taken care of. Maybe it was a stranger who just happened to notice you in a moment where you just needed someone to look you in the eye and say hi. That moment of being noticed, of being seen, of being helped, of being advocated for, of being given voice to, that's what the Holy Spirit is coming alongside of us to do. The Holy Spirit is coming to advocate for us. In the New Testament, one of the ways that this gets expressed in a lot of ways is through intercession. It's through prayer. Frequently, this idea of advocacy is connected to prayer. The Holy Spirit is someone who prays for us. Romans 8, 26 says, In the same way, the Spirit comes to help in our weakness. How? Because we don't know what we should pray. How many times have we been in that place where like, I want to pray right now, but I have no clue what to say. I have no clue what to ask. I have no clue what to pray for. But it says the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpected groans. What does that mean? It means when you can't pray, the Spirit prays for you. It means when you don't pray, the Spirit prays for you. It means when you won't pray, the Spirit prays for you. It means even when you do pray, it's the Spirit who prays through you. It's always the Spirit who's giving voice to the cries of our hearts. Even giving voice to the things that we're not even aware of that we need. The Holy Spirit is crying out for us, advocating on our behalf, interceding for us, advocating, helping coming alongside. The Holy Spirit is the advocating presence of God. The third thing we see in this text is that the Holy Spirit is the guiding presence of God. This companion, John 14, this companion is the spirit of truth. He picks this up later in John 16. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to guide us into truth, to guide us into all truth, which means he's guiding us out of falsehood. He's guiding us out of that which is false 
into that which is true. See, if we're honest, it's really easy for us to live with false beliefs. It's really easy for us to live with false narratives. It's easy for us to begin to buy into things that aren't actually true. It's easy for us to make wrong assumptions. And we can do this not only about God, but we can do this about others and we can do it about ourselves. We can begin to believe things that are not true about God. We can also believe things that are not true about others or we can believe things that are not true about ourselves. We can actually make assumptions about God or about others or about ourselves that aren't true. We can begin to sort of write scripts and narratives and live them out and live in ways that are actually not connected with reality. They're connected with a perception that we have that's actually not true. And so the Spirit comes alongside of us to guide us out of those situations and to bring us into truth. The hard part of this is that most of the time we don't think we need a guide. We believe other people do. There's a lot of other people that need a guide. <laughs> that need a guide into truth. That we can look at other people's lives and we can look at what's going on and we can say, well, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's not true and that's not true and that's not true. And we are actually happy to be the guide for them. Whether they ask or not, we're really happy to like point out all the things in their life that are wrong that need to be corrected. And we're not always so gentle about it. We're just like, here I am to tell you the truth. We're happy to come alongside and speak those things, but we're pretty convinced that we don't need it. That we have sort of the corner of the market on those things. And yet, what this scripture says is, is that the Spirit will come to guide you into all truth. And guide me into all truth. So it's the Spirit that comes to guide me into truth. And to guide you into truth. And so the Holy Spirit, if that's true, is most likely going to spend most of his time talking to us about the things that we believe that aren't true and the assumptions that we've made that are not true and to guide us out of our own false beliefs and false ideas and false assumptions and false perspectives and guide us into truth. If the Spirit is primarily talking to you about other people and not about yourself— it may not be the Spirit. Can I say that? The Spirit wants to come to guide us into truth. But we oftentimes just want to be the people that guide other people into it. And there are certainly times that the Holy Spirit wants to come and, and fill us and use us in such a way to help. But those are usually not the majority way that the Spirit relates to us. The Spirit relates to us primarily in a very personal way about guiding us out of falsehood into truth. And we don't just do this with people that we don't know. We particularly do this in our relationships. This is where we do it the most. When Sarah and I were dating, we had a pretty rocky dating relationship pretty rocky engagement, pretty rocky couple of years uh, there at the very beginning. We've had to see counselors a lot 
and getting help for our relationship. And so early on when we were dating, we had this big breakup and then we got back together and we really cared about one another and thought that there was something here, but we just weren't sure if we'd be able to work through the stuff that we needed to work through. And so we decided to go and and see a counselor and do pre-engagement counseling uh, to get counseling before, you know, we put a ring on it. Because once the ring is on, it's like the train is on the tracks and you're just addressing envelopes for months. That's all you're doing at that point. And it's really hard to like stop and pay attention and say, okay, what's going on here? And so we did 14 weeks of pre-engagement counselor with a guy who was an LPC and a pastor. And I remember one of the moments we were sitting down with him and kind of talking through all of our issues and uh, really just talking to him about the issues we had with the other person or the issues that the other person had. Um, This is how we like to talk. Uh, And he just stopped us at one point and said very simply, he's like, you can never be the Holy Spirit in someone else's life. You can never be the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You can participate with and partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing in that person's life, but you cannot replace the Holy Spirit's work in their life. And most of the time, what we're tempted to do is to replace it, to replace the work of the Spirit. Why? Because we become really impatient with other people. So what happens is, is that we sort of look at their life, we look at our loved one, we look at our friend or our roommate or our coworker, and we can look at them and say, here are all the things that the Lord wants to do in their life. And they are not yet aware of it, but I will make them aware. And I will do it with a glad and sincere heart. I would, I would like to let you know that you've got this problem and you've got this problem and you've got this problem and you believe this which isn't true and you believe that which isn't true. And by the way, you really need to stop leaving your shoes there and you need to put your dishes away here. And we've got this laundry list of things that we can look at at someone else's life and say, let me guide you into truth. But all of those things, if they really are true, all of those things are things that the Holy Spirit very graciously and gently led us into at some point in our lives. And he will, in his time, graciously and gently guide them into it as well. And he may call us alongside to participate and partner, but not to replace. But we get so impatient with the growth process in others that we want to overstep. We want them to be extremely patient with the growth process in us, but we get very impatient with the growth process in others. So the Holy Spirit is revealing things and doing things in my life right now that he did not do when I was 18. Why didn't the Holy Spirit show me that then? Why didn't the Spirit address this in my life when I was 20? Why didn't he talk to me about this when I was 30? Why did he wait until my 40s to start bringing up some of these things? Because he knew I wasn't ready. He knew I couldn't handle it. He knew I wouldn't even have a clue what he was talking about if he tried. I probably would have denied it and fiercely defended myself in front of him. But he's gracious and he's patient and he is kind and he slowly and gently guides us into truth and he oftentimes deals with us with just one thing at a time. And sometimes for the, over the course of years, because he's not in a much hurry with us as we are with other people. He wants to guide us into truth. 
The last thing that we see in this passage is the Holy Spirit is the reminding presence of God. John 14, the companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Holy Spirit is given to us to remind us. Why? Because we're human and we forget all the time. This morning, I got up early to go through my sermon, and I first thing I did is I came downstairs, and I ground the coffee beans, and I put the coffee pot on. I went, and I sat down, and was going through the notes. Then I went up, and I grabbed my mug, and I poured the cup of coffee, and I came back down to the couch. I set my coffee down, started going through my notes again. Like seven, eight minutes in, I'm like, oh, no, my coffee. And what did I do? I got up and walked back over to the coffee pot, opened the cupboard, and was like, where's my mug? I was like, oh yeah, seven minutes ago I poured myself a cup of coffee and set it right in front of me and I've forgotten already and did the walk of shame back across the kitchen over into the living room. We oh so easily forget even the little things in our lives. We are all a bit like Neville Longbottom for you Harry Potter fans. We have an amazing propensity to forget but instead of having Graham send us remember-alls, the Holy, the God sends us the Holy Spirit to remind us. Memory actually plays a crucial role in our lives. It plays a crucial role in our relationships with others. And it plays a crucial role in our life with God. Throughout the scriptures, God commands his people over and over and over again to remember, to remember. And now he provides the Holy Spirit to remind us. How does he do that? You ever had those moments where maybe you're in prayer, maybe you're in worship, maybe you're talking with a friend, maybe you're just on a Saturday afternoon walk, maybe you're stuck at another red light somewhere in the city or in a traffic jam on I-25 and running late. And you have those moments where just out of the blue, you remember a scripture. Or out of the blue, you remember a song and begin to sing it. Or remember a conversation you had with a, a fellow believer and something that they said. Or all of a sudden you remember this part of a book that you read at some point. And, and all of a sudden something is just coming to your remembrance. Or maybe you remember someone that you'd said, oh, I was going to pray for that person. And you'd forgotten. And four days later, the Lord brings them back to your mind. That's the Lord. That's the Spirit. This is how he works. He reminds us in very subtle ways about things. He's continuing to remind us about who we are, about who God is, about what Jesus taught, about what Jesus showed us. He's continually reminding us that he's with us. He's continually reminding us that he's praying for us. He's continually reminding us that he's guiding us. This is the way that he guides us sometimes is we find ourselves in a moment not sure what to do and all of a sudden something pops in our brain out of the blue. What is that? That's the spirit of God getting our attention and reminding us. As Pastor Evan and the worship team come forward, our central act of worship every week is, is actually an act of remembrance. This is what we're doing every week when we come to the table. We are once again remembering. When we come to the table, we're doing something in remembrance of Jesus. And this is primarily what the Spirit comes to do. The Spirit comes to remind us of Jesus. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is described as the shy member of the Trinity because he's always sort of deflecting attention back to Jesus. It's always reminding us of Jesus. 
Why does he remind us? Because to remember is to worship. When we remember Jesus, we're brought once again to worship. When we remember him, we're brought once again to awe. When we remember him, we're brought once again to a sense of wonder. When we remember him, we worship. The Spirit reminds us that we might worship. And here at the table, we're reminded of so many things. We're reminded of the mercy of God when we confess. And we're reminded of the presence of God as we receive the body and blood of Christ. And in those moments, we remember that presence is a delicious word. Let's come to the table together this morning.